Hi there, we're your IP consultants. This is about to be highly indulgent. So sit back and unpack your empty convulsions. And we'll tell you where to shove your Stanleys and Vulcans. We'll use this device for unsolicited advice. You didn't ask us for it, but you can't beat the price. We offer up our services from the U.S. to Sweden. We're your IP consultants, Vincent and Ian. Greetings, Internet, and welcome once again to IP Consultants, the show that takes your intellectual properties and gives you the unsolicited advice that no one ever asked for. We are your hosts. My name is Ian. And my name is Vincent. And today, Vincent, what are we talking about? We're talking about Ghostbusters, not the Ghostbusters, although that might come up uh, somewhere along the line, but Ghostbusters. Uh, well, Ghostbusters is kind of a complicated IP slash trademark because... Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Complicated. Yeah, because originally there was the kids show, The Ghostbusters. Yes. Which was made by, I believe, Filmation. Yeah, they did the live action version with Larry Storch from F Troop. Yep, and a gorilla. And it lasted a season and then they did a second season (laughs) as a cartoon years later uh yeah because what happened was what happened was well ivan reitman uh made a little movie called ghostbusters one word yes and uh that was uh different it was not exactly a reboot of the ghostbusters it was it was a separate ip using the same name and there was a whole licensing mess around that yeah there was there was a lot of legal action going on with that they they couldn't use the name and then they could use the name they while filming filmed alternate takes while they were saying ghost chasers so yeah there's there's a whole deal there and then the ghostbusters became a cartoon and there was a mess around that too because filmation wanted to do the ghostbusters cartoon i think yeah and they started working on it and then someone i guess someone at sony went, yeah, we're going to go a different way with it. Yeah. And they started working on it with a different animation company. Deke. It was a Deke. And Filmation were like, hang on, we did all this work, and now you're going to go and fuck us over like that? Well, we're going to beat you to it. We're going to make a Ghostbusters cartoon. And meanwhile, the Ghostbusters cartoon that the Deke was making based on the Sony property had to be called The Real Ghostbusters. And that was a bit of a slap in the face to the... That's a big kick in the dick right there is what that <laughs> it's a salty move. It's salt on all sides, really, because you got one side going, oh, fuck you, we're going to make our own show with blackjack and hookers, and you got the other side going, well, we're the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. But then there was this other version of Ghostbusters that came out in 2016, which was the Paul Feig movie that was a reboot of the Ivan Reitman Ghostbusters, but with different characters. But it's not a sequel. It's not a legacy thing. It's a new continuity, but it's got a bunch of references to the Ivan Reitman Ghostbusters, no references to the Filmation Ghostbusters. Ah, uh, well, obviously. And that one, I guess, for the sake of keeping track of things, we'll call that Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Yeah, that one's subtitle was, or, or at least poster title was Answer the Call. It is the tagline, honestly, but uh, some people have substituted it as the subtitle to the Ghostbusters 2016 movie. That makes it easier to keep track of which one is the Ghostbusters, which one is Ghostbusters, and which one is uh, Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Agreed. And obviously in between there was a movie called 
Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, it was also directed by Evan Reitman. He did both of them. There's also Extreme Ghostbusters, which was a late 90s cartoon. There was Ghostbusters, the video game on last-gen platforms, PS3, Xbox 360. They also did a version for the Wii and PS2, but graphics were downgraded severely and made it look like a cartoon, at which a lot of people considered Ghostbusters 3, considering the game's script was written by Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd, who wrote the script for the first two Ghostbusters movies directed by Ivan Reitman. And there's also a ongoing series of comics, which encapsulates continuity from all of those things, except for the filmation Ghostbusters. Does it also incorporate the Paul Feig Ghostbusters answer to the call? It does. Interesting. Multiverse? They had a Ghostbusters answer to the call comic book line, which followed those characters. And then those characters met the OG Ghostbusters through a trans-dimensional cross-rip, which I do believe means multiverse stuff. Right. The comic even includes the Sanctum of Slime Ghostbusters characters. And Sanctum of Slime was a like $5 downloadable game for PS3 and Xbox 360 that had different characters in it. That's interesting. And the comic incorporates those characters. It incorporates the rookie from the Ghostbusters video game. Uh, it incorporates extreme Ghostbusters characters. It even incorporates the name Ghost Chasers, which was an alternate team of Ghostbusters that popped up while uh, the Ghostbusters were on hiatus or something. Uh, the comic is freaking fantastic. I've really got to read it. I've only read the Ninja Turtles crossover, uh, which I didn't love, which is why I didn't read more of it. But I, I'm curious about it and I, I want to check it out. They had a crossover of the comic Ghostbusters, which are the analogs to the movie versions, meeting the real Ghostbusters, like the actual cartoon versions. And it's called Ghostbusters Get Real. Mm. And there's a trade out for that. There's a trade out for a good handful of this stuff. Uh, but the, the current comic book run that's done by Eric Burnham and Dan Schoening, those are fantastic. From IDW, IDW did a handful of Ghostbusters comics before that creative team took over. And the first comic was, I think, Ghostbusters Go to Hell, which was the original plot of what Ghostbusters 3 was going to be mm. when Dan Aykroyd originally started doing the script for that back in the 90s. Right. The idea of a Ghostbusters 3 has been floating around on and off a bunch of times. There's been talk about it. I guess we should address the fact that Ghostbusters 3 is apparently happening now. Yes. Jason Reitman, who is uh, Ivan Reitman's son yep. <laughs> and a director in his own right, yep. has taken over. Yeah, so he's working on a third movie in the Reitman Ghostbusters universe, and it's supposed to be coming out in the summer of 2020. And there's a teaser out, which is a teaser in the true sense of the word, not one of those like, this is actually a trailer, but we're calling it a teaser because it's the first one? Yeah. Uh, no, it's a real teaser. It's just they're showing the car uh, in a barn and it's got the music and it's it's nice. Yeah, it's full of, of nods to everything from the original first two movies. The music score is the same as the penthouse music from the first movie when the camera is zooming in on the terror dog statues. There's sound cues of a proton pack in the background powering up and powering down and as it zooms in on this covered vehicle in a barn, the cover blows off 
off and it's Ecto-1. The ambulance version. So yeah, I don't think any of this footage is like going to be in the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... This was just specifically made to tease the fact that they're working on something. Because honestly, for this, nothing has been shot yet. Nobody's been cast yet. But uh, they do have words as to what it may be about. And that's what we're discussing today. Yeah, there have been a few things throughout the years that they've said about Ghostbusters 3. There have been writers attached, well, not necessarily attached, but pitching. There have been ideas floating around, and I know Dan Aykroyd has been talking about wanting to do it forever. Since the late 90s, yeah. Yeah, and for a while he was saying he wanted Alyssa Milano and Eliza Dushku as new recruits. Well, I think he said he wanted Alyssa Milano because the Ghostbusters video game that he and Harold Ramis scripted that came out for PS3 and Xbox 360, because they couldn't get Sigourney Weaver back as Dana Barrett for it, they cast Alyssa Milano as Fankman's love interest in that. Right. And so I think he wanted to bring her character over to whatever new thing was. But the only reason Alyssa Milano was cast was because Sigourney Weaver was like, I don't want to do voiceover for a video game. Video games are stupid. She didn't like the idea. She didn't like being pitched on it. And then she found out that the entire cast of the first movie, except for Rick Moranis, was in the game because Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, William Atherton playing Dickless again, playing Walter Peck is in the game. Annie Potts is in it as Janine. So uh, Sigourney was like, oh shit, I didn't realize that everybody was on board. Uh, yeah, I'll do it. And by that time they were like, it's it's too late now, Sigourney. We've already recast you with Alyssa Milano. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so I did read an interview where Dan Aykroyd talked about Alyssa Milano and he has been talking about Eliza Dushku and Eliza Dushku was also talking about it for a while. They'd been talking to each other. I think they were like friends. So those are two names that I've heard mentioned in relation to Ghostbusters 3 over the years. They might still be on the table. I don't know. Uh, a couple names that I'd been hearing uh, were Seth Rogen and Paul Rudd and somebody threw Will Ferrell into there. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I know that Jason Reitman directed a table read of the first Ghostbusters script and Seth Rogen was one of the readers of that uh, and a handful of other comedians of that era were, were doing a table read for it. I think Jack Black was one of them. They do every so often these table reads in LA of older scripts with modern casts and it's just kind of like an event. Like they sell tickets for it and people come in and, right. and watch these people play these, these characters. So the rumors were going around that possibly these same actors who did this table read were going to be in a Ghostbusters sequel slash reboot slash whatever. This was before the 2016 movie came out. This was before Answer the Call was released. Right. But those names have been thrown about a lot. According to Reitman, however, according to Jason Reitman, he wants this to be a torch passing movie, much like the way that we thought the 2016 movie was supposed to be. Right. Incorporating the original cast or as much as the original cast as left or willing to do the movie, because we know a lot of the reasons Ghostbusters 3 never happened originally is because Bill Murray just flat out did not want to do it. So now this seems to be focusing on a new team and this seems to be focusing on a much younger team according to Reitman, or, or at least according to a couple of the interviews with Reitman that I've seen, it is focusing on four teenagers, oh. two male, two female. Okay. So the possibility of having Ray Stance and Winston Zeddemore, Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson, being the guys who work at Ghostbusters Corporate and passing 
it down to them or, or, you know, having these guys be the new hires or what have you uh, is definitely there for this movie. Both Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson have said on Twitter that they are on board for doing it. I don't know if they've actually, quote unquote, been cast in it, but they said they are ready, willing and able to do things. Ernie Hudson has said the whole cast is back. I take that with a grain of salt because that's not come from a specific studio speaking. I also take everything of Dan Aykroyd saying he's been talking with Elijah Dushku and Alyssa Milano with a grain of salt because, yeah, he's been talking with them, but his script had never been picked up. So, yeah, no, his talking with Eliza Dushku and uh, Alyssa Milano was quite a while ago, and it was something that he wanted to happen. And if they're going to ask Dan Aykroyd who he wants to be in it, he might bring them up, mm. which is not to say that they're going to be in it. Oh, no doubt. And I don't think they would be playing teenagers uh, at this point. No, definitely not. But in terms of what it should be, obviously a torch passing is what we've been thinking, what pretty much everyone has been thinking for years should be the third Ghostbusters movie. Or at least if they have to do something with a new cast, a torch passing is a logical thing to do. Yeah. Because then you can have the old cast back and still make it like a bridge to a continuation of the franchise in the same way that The Force Awakens is for Star Wars, etc. And now that there's been a reboot, that would make this torch passing also an unreboot, which is a rare phenomenon in live action. Uh, there have been a few. Yeah. Ash versus the Evil Dead is an example of a, an unreboot because there was a reboot of the Evil Dead and then there was a TV show taking place in the original continuity. Yeah, which I think, to, to jump off topic real briefly, that reboot of the Evil Dead is kind of what I'm thinking answer the call will be is an alternate universe kind of thing. Right. Because at the end of the Evil Dead, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, Ash, the Bruce Campbell version of Ash, shows up at the end. Right. So it, it is an unreboot in a sense in that they did not extend past it. <laughs> right. And another example of an unreboot would be Halloween Resurrection to Halloween H2O and then recently Halloween 2018 because that ignored all of the sequels after that. Yeah, that was both a unreboot and a system restore, I think. But yeah, it's a rare phenomenon on reboots because usually when things are rebooted, they stay rebooted or they get rebooted again, but you usually don't get the old continuity back. But when people are fans of the original continuity and invested in the idea of that continuity continuing, it's a perfectly valid thing to do is bring it back. Yeah, but in the same stance, now that you've rebooted, what do you do with that? Because there are fans of that. Yes. There are a lot of non-fans of that too. Yes, we know. It's it was kind of a we're, we're not we're not going to jump into that shit right now. Yeah, but let's acknowledge the fact that there are, in fact, fans of Answer the Call. Answer the Call is a movie that has an audience. There are people who like those characters. I like the characters fine. I didn't think it was a great movie. I, I'm absolutely one of those people. I enjoyed the movie. It's not perfect, but it is definitely a product of its time. And it is definitely funny. When I say product of its time, it is very much this modern era of humor, which is a different era of humor than the original Ghostbusters in 1984 was. You're not going to get the same movie right. when you reboot it, especially with uh, these different diverse casts. I will say, Leslie Jones, who was in the Answer the Call reboot, just tweeted out how pissed off she is about this going back version. Either she's actually genuinely pissed or she's trolling the people that trolled her movie. It's an understandable response given the fact that she got a lot of harassment when the movie came out. Oh yeah, she replied, so insulting. Like, fuck us. We don't count. It's like something Trump would do. Trump voice. Gonna redo Ghostbusters. Better with men. We'll be huge. Those women ain't Ghostbusters. Ugh, so annoying. Such a dick move. And I don't give a fuck I'm saying something. Well, I would like to say that I hope and believe that there will be 
be female Ghostbusters in this new movie. I would be pissed if it was all men, frankly. Agreed. I think the obvious move is to either go half and half or mostly women. I agree with that, but I also think that there should be acknowledgement for Answer the Call in it. Yes. And I'll get to that later. I will also get when we actually get into our pitch here. Yeah, I think there's a lot to say about that. And I think we will definitely cover that because I agree. I agree completely that Answer the Call is a valid movie. It's not my favorite movie in the Ghostbusters franchise, but neither is Ghostbusters 2, to be frank. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, to me, and I'm, I'm just going to give a little observation because I think this is important to the topic of IP consultants for anything, really. Ghostbusters 2, I tend to use as an example of a movie that's not necessarily a terrible movie, but it is not a great sequel. And I would like to explore the distinction between a bad movie and a bad sequel. Sure. Because a movie doesn't necessarily have to be a bad movie in order to be a bad sequel. I saw Ghostbusters 2, either I saw it before I saw Ghostbusters, or I saw it having forgotten <laughs> Ghostbusters because I saw Ghostbusters when I was too little to remember it. Because I saw Ghostbusters 2 on television, they would air sequels on TV because they would like buy movies in bulk and they would get a bunch of sequels. And so they would air those without airing the first movie because that would require them to buy the first movie because that's like the scam that's the trick that they pull is like they sell a bunch of movies in bulk and in there are some sequels so that they will incentivize the tv channels to buy in the earlier movie for more money but they just don't they just air the second movie so there were a bunch of movies like that where i saw the sequel first which is an interesting phenomenon to have experienced it in that way i don't know if i saw ghostbusters 2 first but it's possible because i remember seeing ghostbusters 2 and not really knowing that much about the first Ghostbusters at the time. So, because of that, I would like to say that Ghostbusters 2 isn't a terrible movie, but it is kind of a bad sequel, because if you have seen Ghostbusters, which I since have, obviously, Ghostbusters 2 repeats a lot of the story beats from the first movie. It's very much a template plug-in new stuff here. Yeah, and specifically at the beginning of the movie, it doesn't start the characters at the point where they are at the end of the first movie. It rewinds them in their development yeah, it drops them back. Yeah, it makes them losers again instead of heroes as they were at the end of the first movie as an excuse to tell the same story again, essentially. Yeah. But with replacements of plot stuff. Which is a lot of people's problems with Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, that was the problem with Ghostbusters 2, and that was why I wasn't on board with the idea of a Ghostbusters reboot when that was happening, because that's just, again, doing it again, rather than continuing it, developing it further. Yeah, I agree agreed. And as such, I think the idea of a torch passing is the right move in terms of that gives you a chance to actually use what's been set up and move forward with it, which can be done in various ways. There are many different directions to take it. And obviously it's been 30 something years. So there's not just a lot of ways to take it, but there's a lot of gaps to fill in. I'm pretty sure this year is the 35th anniversary of Ghostbusters. Came out in 1984. But of Ghostbusters 2? Of Ghostbusters too, it's the 30th anniversary. Right. So it's been a, about 30 years. Because Ghostbusters 2 came out in 89. So in 2020, it'll have been 30-something years. Yeah. So there's there's a gap to fill in. The last thing we saw was the Statue of Liberty walking. That would have some impact on the culture, I think. Although at the very end of the movie, she's back on Liberty Island, so. Yes. Uh, I don't know how well attached. Yeah. Are we to assume that in the novel version, she's holding the torch in the wrong hand? Uh. In the novel, the movie adaptation... Uh, novella 
she's switched hands. So she's got the torch in the other hand in the book uh, switched. And Peter leans over and says that to Egon or something like that. That's an interesting idea, but that's not in the movie, right? It's not in the movie. No, I always as a kid used to think it was in the movie because I'd read the novella. Right. But, you know, watching it now, I'm like, oh, no, no, it's back to normal. Right. So the, the Statue of Liberty is canonically back to normal or. <laughs> yes, I know it goes nowhere, but please keep it in. Right. Uh, wh- <laughs> yes. uh, wh- whether it's properly attached, I don't know. Maybe it fell over in the interim, but that that would be uh, maybe a bit cheap. Oh, no. After they get out of the Statue of Liberty, when you see everybody singing along to Old Lang Syne, it's laying down on the ground, the entire statue. You see the feet of it and the feet are <laughs> upward. <laughs> right. And she's just like laying down behind everybody. <laughs> and we don't get to see it reattached, right? No, we don't see any of it get back to where it was. The Ghostbusters were getting the key to the city on Liberty Island in front of the Statue of Liberty. Right. And it switched to a helicopter shot of the Statue of Liberty back on Liberty Island. So we don't know for sure that the statue is properly reattached. It could fall over. Right. That said, falling over might be a bit of a cheap move and it might be a little too over overt symbolism of things going to shit. <laughs> well, not just that, but it also puts the Ghostbusters back into the out-of-work schlubs again, which we don't want to repeat that for the third movie. Yeah, because people would be mad about that. Absolutely. The first reason they were mad about it is because it kind of ruined the continuity that was established by the real Ghostbusters cartoon. They were successful after conquering Gozer in the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Right. And they had been continually successful. And the cartoon had been on for four or five years when Ghostbusters 2 came out. And then Ghostbusters 2 came out and ruined that continuity of their show. Right. (laughs) By saying that they had been out of work. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of that's diagnosing the issue of why it's not necessarily a great sequel. But it does leave things at an interesting spot yeah. because stuff happened and now now people are going to definitely remember them and nobody's going to say it was a hoax, right? After all that time, unless the ghosts go away. But I'm guessing the ghosts have continued over the course of these 30 years. Oh yeah, well they would have to have. And the Ghostbusters have probably stuck around and they probably franchised. Yeah, the original ending to the first Ghostbusters movie in the original script. By the way, if you folks can't tell, I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan. And I've seen the movies and (laughs) know some stuff around them. Uh, I got to see Ghostbusters 2 before it came out. I was such a big fan. And I went 10 years old going to see this movie in a Ghostbusters costume with a proton pack on my back. Yeah, I'm I'm that nerd. Uh, So I was going to say, yeah, you're that cool. (laughs) Because that's the nerd I am. So in the original in the original Ghostbusters ending, in the script for the first movie, you see little vignettes of the Ghostbusters going off and doing different things. Peter's with Dana. Ray goes back to the military base where he gets the ghost blowjob with a thing of flowers and a bottle of wine. Because in the original script, it wasn't a dream sequence. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole scene with that. And Egon and Janine get married, which I'm glad they didn't carry over into the sequel. And Winston heads up the Ghostbusters corporate office. Right. He goes into the corporate office and franchises out Ghostbusters. And according to the video game, which again is pretty much considered canon and Ghostbusters 3 because it takes place two years after Ghostbusters 2. It takes place in 91. Even though it was released in 2008, I think, the game itself takes place in 1991. The rookie, the character that you play as, is franchised over brought in from their Chicago office. Hmm. I have a question. This might be a little bit of a side thing, but it is related 
related to some story stuff. Since you've uh, apparently consumed a lot of the expanded Ghostbusters universe, I need to ask you, has Oscar been seen again? You know what? Uh, not in anything that I've seen. Uh, and and there's been all, always people going, where's, where's Oscar? Uh, I admittedly have not been keeping up on the comics as of late. I do know a little bit of what's been going on in them, but uh, I fell off on my collecting and I've been picking up the trades in the interim trying to catch up. Right. But for the most part, I've not seen Oscar, a.k.a. Dana Barrett's son. Uh, I've not seen Oscar pop up in anything, but I have ever since Ghostbusters 2 came out. I wrote a script called Ghostbusters Jr. (laughs) when I was like 11 or 12 years old. That's a good title. Which cast me as Oscar, basically having the torch passed from Uncle Pete. But we all know Pete Venkman is the father of Oscar. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so you know, that was that was always a, an idea I'd had ever since Ghostbusters 2 came out, where Oscar takes over for the Ghostbusters, uh, or at least becomes a Ghostbuster when he becomes old enough. I've been carrying this idea around Oscar of, because if you think about it, Oscar was handpicked for possession. Yes. And before him, his mother was handpicked for possession. Yeah, so they kind of got this uh, bad family history going with that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking she is aware of these events. He was a baby. Yeah, so he, he doesn't really remember it. Dana very well remembers she was possessed and her baby was almost possessed. She would probably have her guard up for the rest of her life. She would be raising that kid to know everything there is to know about possession and be fucking prepared. And she would probably not just about possession, but but supernatural possession and anything involved in supernatural, uh, you know, because she was possessed by a Sumerian god. She was possessed by the dog of a Sumerian god. Well, yeah, but Vince Clortho and Zul are minions of Gozer. Yeah. Uh, whether they be actual dogs or when they are in human form are still human. But, you know, under the belief. So these characters, Zul and Vince Clortho, have been throughout time, throughout aeons of different forms. As uh, Lewis says, as Vince Clortho, Gozer was brought back as a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. (laughs) Right. So, you know, they've all taken different forms. So calling them dogs specifically, I don't think is accurate. Well, yeah, (laughs) fair. Uh, But what I was what I was getting at is Dana would make sure that she knows everything about supernatural possession and about exorcism. And she would try to teach all that to her son. And reasonably, her son would be like, oh, this again? Mom, stop it. This his bedtime book would be the Tobin Spirit Guide. (laughs) Right. So he would be reluctantly learning all this stuff that he would know. So I kind of want to see Oscar. Is it Oscar Barrett or does he have a different last name? It's Oscar Barrett. Now, they actually never say it in the movie. They just list him as Oscar, but it's Oscar Barrett. Right. So Oscar Barrett would probably have all the like knowledge of exorcism, but not really care and not really be like interested in it. So I think I want to see Oscar Barrett be a character they call upon to do exorcism. But he's like, oh, can you get 
someone else. Just like, that's who I want yeah. Oscar Barrett to be. This 30-something person who just does not want to do exorcism, but just happens to be the only person in the neighborhood who can. Right. That's my first bit of IP consultancy for uh, <laughs> for Ghostbusters 3 is Oscar Barrett is an exorcist by default of having been raised by one. He's got expanded knowledge of demon possession, ghost possession, astral projection, mostly because all of those things happened to him and his mom. Um, minor knowledge of ghosts and other spirits, class five, whatever you, you want to call it in, in Ray's lexicon. But uh, yeah, that's that's a great idea. And in terms of like Egon connections, obviously you can't have Egon in the movie. Yeah, unfortunately. But there is the idea and the idea has been floated around by multiple ideas people, including myself. I've suggested this in the past on, you know, Facebook conversations and such that the logical thing or the easy thing would be if Egon had a daughter. Yeah. The more interesting thing, perhaps, is if Janine had a daughter and we don't know who the father is. Yeah. I would love for them to bring Rick Moranis back for this as far as being Lewis Tully, because as some of you know, Rick Moranis uh, retired from acting after his wife passed away so that he could care for his children and it's not come back. Well, he has a little bit. He has done a tiny bit of acting since, but it's not a major thing in his life currently. It's been mostly voice work. It's not a major thing. Uh, he did do his very first convention appearance at a convention last year, I think in Texas. Mm. And he released an album, right? Yeah, he put out he put out a country album uh, about a year before that. But he's been very much staying out of the spotlight and not really doing any quote unquote big acting. I think he and Dave Thomas did resurrect the Bob and Doug McKenzie characters for something in Canada recently as well. But that said, he has not done uh, anything large scale like what Ghostbusters could be. But I would love to see Lewis Tully come back for this. And even if it's a cameo. Yeah, actually, probably uh, especially as a cameo, considering most of the Ghostbusters in the original cast probably would be relegated to cameos as far as torch passing. But Lewis coming back with Janine as a reluctant stepdad to whatever that kid is that Janine has. <laughs> if I'm not wrong, and I haven't really seen much of the Ghostbusters cartoons, but I seem to recall soaking up the information that Janine at some point got on and off back again with Egon. Yeah, it was a through thread that they carried over from the movie that Janine was obsessed with Egon. So that happened a lot in the cartoon. And then Ghostbusters 2 came out and Janine and Lewis hooked up in Ghostbusters 2. Right. So they introduced Lewis kind of small as a character in the real Ghostbusters cartoon. He wasn't in it very much. Right. They did make a toy of him and they made a toy of Janine too, but they didn't really explore that relationship from Ghostbusters 2 in the cartoon. Her heart always belonged to Egon, according to real Ghostbusters. Right. So, so I guess it's kind of up in the air as to like when Janine was with who. And I don't think you necessarily need to go into like the specifics on that. No, of course not. I think you can leave it a little up in the air and you have like a suspiciously young kid of theirs yeah of janine's so that you kind of go whose kid is this i don't know because i have a casting choice i just thought of it and this changes a little bit because i i did say daughter earlier but now i'm saying non-binary because i'm saying bex taylor klaus not familiar should be the child of janine bex taylor klaus was on arrow bex taylor klaus pops up in things they're in uh, the voltron cartoon playing one of the main characters characters 
there. They have a certain charisma that I think feels right for Ghostbusters. It's a subtle charisma, and I think they would slot in quite easily into a Ghostbusters movie as one of the young recruits. And I think they're like 24. Yeah. Something that people have been talking about as far as a Ghostbusters sequel to the original franchise, a Ghostbusters 3. Again, we don't even know if it's going to be called Ghostbusters 3, but that's what we're calling it currently because it is, as you said, an unreboot, is the original movies were very much, again, I'm going to use this term, products of their time in that the Ghostbusters basically are a very Reagan-era team. <laughs> There's very much the, and I, again, it's not something I'm completely, totally versed in, so pardon me if I get parts of this wrong, but, uh, you know, the whole Reagan-era, Reaganomics mindset of mortgaging your house to start a business and uh, <laughs> using that as making a, a franchise specifically that's providing a service, but making money and providing this public service is a very Reagan era kind of thing. Uh, and I know a lot of people want to see that kind of done away with because of the modern day setting. If this movie does, in fact, take place in the modern day, that's another thing that we are not really sure about. Is this going to take place in 2018, 2019, 2020, when it could be set in late 90s, early 2000s? I th- I think it's probably safe to assume that it's probably going to take place in 2020 because yeah i believe jason reitman talked about 30 years later or at least ernie hudson did yeah and it also makes sense because you know everybody's older so yeah exactly it's a lot easier than calling in the marvel special effects team like hey sony needs another favor <laughs> so I, I don't think that's gonna happen i think probably it's gonna be contemporary or around contemporary i'm guessing it's gonna be just it takes place in the year that it's released, so 2020. Yes, Reagan things. So the idea being that they don't necessarily charge a whole bunch of money for what they do? Yeah, you know, it's not something that I totally ever have focused on with those movies because I really didn't care. Um, (laughs) But basically, that was the thinking behind it. They do work out of a fire station. Yes. So to turn them into something more akin to an emergency services type of thing, I could see that. That is a direction that it could be taken in. Yeah. And have it be like, oh, you pay for it with the tax money. Yeah, exactly. You know, have them be government sanctioned. The money they get is through government grants, and that's who's paying through that. So, you know, I know a lot of people felt that the first movie was a very right-wing Reaganomics propaganda film, which, again, I don't quite agree with that, but... uh, I more think of it as an exterminator joke, like... (laughs) Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I I think of the, the first movie as being based around a joke that's developed into something that's more than a joke, but, like, I don't think of it in terms of politics. But, yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that could be explored with a movie of returning to it and that would turn them into something a little closer to superheroes which is uh, an interesting way to take it given that Ghostbusters the first movie is kind of the template for a lot of modern superhero movies yeah including things like the Avengers and I mean it's very much the template for the modern superhero movie in a lot of ways and it's even got kind of the iconic sky beam scene in a sense yeah the- I don't know if there's literally a beam oh there's definitely a beam it shoots out of the top of the fire station right yeah that's what releases all the ghosts. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I was thinking of the ending of the movie. Well, that's just an explosion. (laughs) 
but well, I was thinking of when they're on top of the building and the clouds are forming above the building. I think that scene has influenced a lot of sky beams as well. Oh, definitely. There may be no beam per se uh, on that. They they open a, a celestial door there, and you see Gozer coming in from the other side from that door, and they use the crossing the streams to close the door because science. And <laughs> but yeah, no, there is definitely a beam that shoots out of the containment unit in Ghostbusters HQ when Walter Peck and the power company shut it off there. So yeah, sort of Skybeam influence, yeah. Yeah, I think the modern Skybeam is a combination of those two scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and I think that's a dead trope at this point. It's a cliche, and it's pretty much movies now are embarrassed to use it, I think. And yet so many movies have. Yeah, I mean, it's still sticking around a little bit, but I think it's going away. We're hoping. The audiences are vocally tired of it. I just want to see one movie that starts to use it and just have one character going, oh, God damn it, another Skybeam. <laughs> I don't care what franchise it's in. I could see Deadpool do that. Just like it's become so commonplace, it's happening in their reality constantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, completely. So uh, that's another suggestion here. Uh, this movie, maybe don't do a Skybeam. Yeah, no, definitely don't. Because there's going to be some feeling of like, should we put a Skybeam here? Don't. Don't do that. Didn't they kind of have a Skybeam in Answer the Call? Possibly. I barely remember that movie. <laughs> I've seen that movie a couple times. And uh, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering a Skybeam. There very well may have been. Vague Remembrances of a Skybeam is the name of my biography. It's also the name of this episode, probably. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, no Skybeam. Janine has a kid. We don't know who the father is. Oscar Barrett is a reluctant exorcist. He's a non-practicing exorcist. Yep. Uh, <laughs> non-practicing. That's a good way of putting it. And obviously the rest of the cast would just be new recruits probably in terms of like Ghostbusters and active people and people who are corporate. Yeah. People who are maybe coming in from another city and stuff like that. Well, I guess there's one character because uh, you did talk about the comics and I am aware of one thing that specifically carried over from the Extreme Ghostbusters to the comic and that is uh, Kylie Griffin is that her name? Yeah, she was part of the Ghost Chasers or Ghost Blasters, maybe they have been called that Ghost Chasers, Ghost Blasters, something like that Janine joins that group with Kylie uh, when the regular Ghostbusters are down in fact, she's in Ghostbusters International which is this trade that I have she is one of the characters right there Oh, So I'm thinking maybe Kylie Griffin should be in it in some capacity Yep, Ghost Smashers, I'm sorry sorry to interrupt, Ghost Smashers is what they called the other team because that's what they were going to call them in the movie when they couldn't get the name Ghostbusters. It was Ghost Smashers. Okay, so I'm thinking maybe Kylie Griffin would be one of the senior Ghostbusters. She's been in the company for yeah. some time and we don't need to like get into the specifics. We don't need to tell her entire backstory and like, oh, she was in the extreme Ghostbusters and then the Ghost Smashers and then you don't have to go into that. No, no, now it's a law. You just go, she's with the company. She's already here. She's an active Ghostbuster. Here's Kylie Griffin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a great idea. It's a great little nod to past versions of the series just to have that character carry over into it. That'd be great for the fans. That's a good nod for them. I think that's a great idea. And she could like drop a little line of like she knew Egon. Yeah. You don't need to like go into the specifics of that unless it's like specifically connecting to the emotion of the scene. Sure. Like there's something that Egon used to say or, you know, she trained under Egon and you use that as part of, of the character and you don't need to go into too much of the detail. And she 
she could be the one since the other guys are a lot older now. She could also be the one who's also helping train the new recruits. Yeah, she could be whoever, you know, we could cast uh, Alyssa Milano or Eliza Dushku as her. <laughs> I could see Eliza Dushku as Kylie Griffin. Yeah, I was thinking Eliza Dushku for her. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, Eliza Dushku plays Kylie Griffin. Kylie Griffin. Bex Taylor Klaus plays, I don't know, Bex Melnitz. That's a good name. Bex Melnitz. Bex Melnitz is a good name. And it does sound like something that Janine and possibly Egon would name their kid. Yeah, because I mean, they would probably name their kid Rebecca and then Rebecca changes their name to Bex. Yeah, no, that's great. B-E-X. Obviously. Yeah. So we've got the mentor. We've got the relative. We've got the another relative. Yeah, in Oscar. And as for like whether Alyssa Milano should be in it, I don't know if Alyssa Milano should necessarily play the same character from the game because timing wise, that would be weird, I think. Yeah, because it's voice work. Yeah, and she's a lot younger. And the game, everybody was looking like they did or would have in 1991, even though they voiced it in 2008, where they were all clearly physically much older. Right. And Melissa Milano, much younger than everybody of the original cast. So having her play the same character would be a little creepy. Right. So my suggestion with regard to if you're going to utilize Alyssa Milano in the movie, which, you know, Dan Aykroyd might want to do and might push hard for. I don't know. I don't know how strongly he feels about that. Or how much pull he'll have in this in this movie. That too. But let's assume for a second that Alyssa Milano is a done deal. Uh, what kind of character would she play? Would she play one of the new recruits? Would she play someone at corporate? Would she play someone who's working for the city? Um, a ghost? <laughs> she could be the ghost of the character from the video game. That would work, timing-wise, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. One of the only faults I have with the video game is that, much like Ghostbusters 2, it rehashes beats and moments from the other movies. It is very much, here's the template established by Ghostbusters 1, let's fill that in into this version of Ghostbusters. The difference being is that A, it's playable, so therefore it is longer than a movie, and B, uh, they flat out bring Gozer back in that game. So they're not just repeating beats, they're repeating the main antagonist. So the Stay of Marshmallow Man comes back, Gozer comes back, but it's actually Gozer looking like Evo Shandor rather than some random random androgynous supermodel, which was what the original script for Ghostbusters 1 was. It was supposed to be Evo Shandor, the guy who created the building, who was going to be played by Paul Rubens in the first movie. Hmm. But he was busy, and so they cast the other person to play Gozer the Gozerian. Right. So in the game, they brought back the idea of having Gozer appear as Evo Shandor. Now, this raises another angle on this conversation, which brings us back a little bit to this idea of, of sequels repeating stuff versus sequels developing stuff and, and digging deeper into stuff. Yeah. Because bringing back the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man makes really no sense. It's just, hey, look at this thing you remember. Which makes sense for the video game because people who played the video game maybe wanted to see the stuff that they saw in the movies. Definitely. From a gaming angle, it absolutely makes sense. Also, all of the music in the game is just the score from Ghostbusters 1. <laughs> Yeah, again, that makes sense because the game is trying to create this nostalgic experience. It's trying to profit from nostalgia, and it absolutely worked. Yeah, it's trying to put you in the experience of the movies, but in the context of this pseudo-continuation of the story that's really just retreading the greatest hits, so to speak. In an interactive form. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what I would say is there is 
something that is doable that would connect to the first movie that isn't necessarily bringing back things from the first movie. And that is expanding on the mythology that was established by the first movie. The first movie established Gozer the Gozerian and Vince Clortho and Zool. And these are clearly part of some mythology. It was, was it Sumerian? Sumerian, yes. Right. And that's not real Sumerian mythology. No. It's just made up for the movie. I'm pretty sure, yeah. It's some lost Sumerian religion that is made up. You could just expand on that and go, oh, yeah, whatever Sumerian person theorized all this stuff had a bunch of other observations about the universe outside of what we experience. And so you could bring back more of that and you could go, oh, yeah, there's something greater than Gozer the Gozerian or something equal to, but maybe has to be dealt with in a different way because it has different powers. Like it could be a different god of that pantheon or something. Yeah. Because there is something to connecting the continuation of the mythology to the established mythology. The second movie obviously didn't do that. It had a painting that had a ghost in it, which is kind of bringing the scale down a bit in terms of the size of the enemy. Yeah, but he was also, when he was alive, he had his essence put in the painting or something like that because he had lived 115 years and it was this horrible, mystical well, leader of pain or something. I don't know. Well, he, <laughs> I would say Vigo is very clearly an allusion to Dracula. Sure. To uh, Vlad III of Wallachia, of Transylvania, because they even make reference to the same area. It's it's the, the Carpathian. He's Vigo the Carpathian. Yes. The Carpathian Mountains are the Transylvania, Wallachia. It's it's that same area. Carpathian kitten loss. He's missed his kitten. So, so Vigo is very clearly like a Dracula allusion, but they put him in a painting. So it's a painting of Dracula, essentially, in terms of what the idea is. Compare a Dracula painting versus a god. Like the scale of that kind of thing is it's bringing it down to something. A little bit. And the, obviously the scale goes up with the mood slime and it's it's in that sense a large scale issue because the river of slime is under the entire city and it affects people's behavior and that all plot stuff is interesting and I think there's possibly some way I don't know exactly how but there might be some way of connecting Vigo and the slime to the Gozer mythology because I mean yes Sumerian mythology but this is like universal gods we're talking about they would possibly be accessible from other points on the earth. So maybe Vigo the Carpathian was someone who believed in these in this pantheon. Was a Gozer worshipper. Yeah, or a worshipper of something greater than Gozer that was connected to Gozer, or generally that pantheon, some sort of connection there. And the mood slime might be like some side effect of something connected to that mythology. Like, I feel like there's a way of having whatever's going on in the third movie connect to both of the previous movies without repeating anything specific from the previous movies. Yeah, you don't want to use the same kind of beats, but at least use allusions to the connective tissue between them as a through line. Right. Because that makes it feel connected to those movies without feeling like, oh, I could just be watching those movies and get the same experience. Right. You want something that feels like a continuation of it and a, an expansion of that mythology. And I think there's something there. Yeah, I think that's basically kind of going back and saying what we always say on this is, if you're going to do a sequel, don't repeat what you've done before. And that was the failing of the first sequel. That was the failing of Ghostbusters 2, is that they were repeating the same story beats. It was a template that was for their sequel. Don't do that. Tell something brand new. Don't use the same story beats. We're all familiar with them now. We know how it goes. Don't start them as defunct. <laughs> Don't start them as down. Have Ghostbusters corporate be a thing. Have them have franchises across the United States and have this be an 
another one. Have this being us following another franchise. Because that is an interesting story. That's honestly what they're doing with the Men in Black movie. Right. You know, the Men in Black movie is going Men in Black International. So this is the European Men in Black. So in this sense, let's have this be a Chicago branch of the Ghostbusters or what have you. Well, it could be the same branch, but 30 years later and it's got new people. Like, it doesn't have to be a different branch. Exactly. Or have them call over to Chicago for advice or whatever, you know? You could have a transfer. You can have someone from Chicago's moving to New York and joining the New York team. Exactly. Or maybe someone's coming back from there. Like, maybe Griffin has been in in Chicago for a number of years and is now, like, coming back to New York to set things straight because the New York chapter is kind of, it's kind of died down a little bit over the last five years or something. The special activity in the area has reduced over the number of years because that's where Ghostbusters HQ is from. So they've kind of caught everything from there. Right. (laughs) It's kind of died down and the New York chapter has gotten a bit lazy and then there's a spike. Like stuff starts happening again and now they need to step it up. So Griffin comes in to go like, okay, we need to we need to get things in order. We need new recruits. We need proper training. Like you just bring it back up to the level because I think that's maybe a thing. Definitely a thread that can be followed and having that through thread of at least acknowledgement of things past, you know, A, this reminds me of the transdimensional cross strip that Gozer tried to bring through or Vigo's what have you. Yeah, it's got the same PKE level or something. Like Exactly. I haven't seen PKE levels since yada yada hudahada. Or like you can have like a small amount of the mood slime. Not a river of slime because you don't want to repeat it, but you can have like there's something leaking out of something and it's like this is the same substance from and you could discover that after you find the substance, you don't know what it is, you start fighting and then you analyze it and you go oh shit it's that stuff yes i have a pke meter here so (laughs) yeah they can't see that on the podcast no they can't see it but they can hear it beeping i'm sure so so do we go past this movie now or is there more stuff we can suggest well i do have one final suggestion for the end of this movie post-credit scene or just the very ending a post-credit scene and this is to bring in answer the call right in the comics answer the call happens in a different universe and the two universes do eventually meet up in i think a comic called ghostbusters 101 where the classic version we'll call it the ivan reitman version and the answer the call universe meet and we could have just a post-credit sting of at ghostbusters hq when everybody's kind of calmed down after whatever happened their their final battle getting back to the office and on one of the walls a portal opens up and in walks Holtzman and behind her is the rest of the crew and she looks around and says oh that's where that leads okay never mind and walks back through the portal and closes it I like that (laughs) and that's it (laughs) I like that because that's so at least at least they're in the movie they're acknowledging it they're acknowledging that it does exist in a alternate universe and it gives that possibility of later on connecting those two universes and giving this weird yes multiverse Ghostbuster universe what I especially like about that idea for the scene is I expected it to go, they come in and they go, oh, there's trouble, we need your help, or something like that. Like, that's 
the cliche way of ending yeah. that scene, but instead going, oh, that's where that leads, and then just walking back. Yeah. I like that because it's anticlimactic. It's like, oh, this is going to be important. Oh, no, it's just, it's nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. I like that it's just an experiment. I do have to admit, I did see somebody else post this online. I do not remember their name. It was in a response to a friend's thread about this, and I went, that's freaking brilliant. Uh, I need to bring that up on the podcast. So thank you to whoever suggested that, but I sadly do not have your name. I like that because we've seen similar kinds of hooks at the end of other movies where there's something important going on. It's the end of Back to the Future. <laughs> Marty, you gotta come back with me. Something gotta be done about your kids, Marty. Uh, no. It, it, instead, it's like, oh, this is, ah, uh, never mind, and leave. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Yeah, because <laughs> it sets up the connection without having a direct threat right now. It's like, no, they were just trying something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think it's important to note the difference between my version and the version that the person wrote that I cribbed that from is they said just Holtzman comes through. I wanted to clearly establish that the others are there with her. They just don't walk through. You see them on the other side of the portal freaking out that she's wandered through this portal, but she's the only one that comes to the portal and goes back because I wanted to establish that, yes, all four of them are still there and involved so that Leslie Jones will at least be in the movie. Um, <laughs> but also mostly because I enjoy that universe and I want to see it continue and establishing that it still exists even in this continuity but in a different universe is a great way to expound on that. Right, I like that idea. And I will say also, when they announced the reboot, my reaction was mixed to the announcement of the Answer the Call movie because part of me was like, I really don't want a reboot. I want a legacy torch passing. Well, that's what everybody wanted. But at the same time, the entire cast that was announced were people I've seen be funny. Yeah. They're all funny people. Absolutely. And the director made Bridesmaids, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed that movie. So I was like, this is promising. I don't like the fact that it's a reboot, but I'll still check it out and I'll give it a chance and it might be good because I like these people. And then I saw it and my feeling was like, eh, could have been better. Yeah. But there were things I liked about it. There were moments that worked and the overall style of it didn't really click for me. And there were things in it that didn't really work. And the story felt like a retread and like, sure, there were problems with it. But I will say bringing back that cast for a crossover movie is a perfectly fine idea. I don't really at this point, I don't want Paul Feig to make that movie. Right. However, if Jason Reitman really nails this Ghostbusters 3 and then comes back and does the crossover movie, that'd be cool. I've seen a couple of Jason Reitman movies and I've enjoyed them. So in terms of believing in Jason Reitman's ability to make this movie, I think there's a chance it's going to be good. And if it is, I would like to see him do a crossover. And I will add to that. Yeah. In that crossover, I would like to see the Ghostbusters appear. <laughs> I don't know exactly how. You want to bring in the filmation guys. Yeah. I mean, obviously you'd have to recast them. Well, yeah, because Larry Storch, I, I think he's probably dead or something. Yeah. You can have a gorilla, which would probably in this day and age be CGI and played by Andy Serkis <laughs> because that's what you do. You cast Andy Serkis and you make it CGI or you just get a guy in a gorilla suit. It really doesn't make a difference. I mean, it makes a difference, but the difference it makes is like it either looks really like it's actually there or it looks like it can act. So you get to choose. No, um, <laughs> you get a version of the filmation Ghostbusters in the movie in some capacity. I'm not saying necessarily like they're in the action. If you don't want to do that because of the gorilla, I get it. But for my weird brain, I would like to see them in on the action. Uh, Obviously, different company. There's stuff with that. But if you can make a deal, oh, there's with, a whole legality thing with 
that, that's going to make oh, that yeah. difficult. But I'm talking if they actually get in touch with Filmation and go, hey, we want to make a peace deal here. We've worked with Marvel. We can work with you. Let's make this happen. Let's do this <laughs> fun little thing where we bring in the Ghostbusters as part of this Ghostbusters crossover. I would just like them watching it on TV. Well, that I would just our Ghostbusters watching the original The Ghostbusters as a TV show. That was gonna, <laughs> but like I a modern gonna, TV show. I was going to get to an idea very close to what you're just saying, <laughs> because I was I was saying I for my brain, my weird brain, I would like to see them in on the action. But you didn't let me get to the but. I'm sorry. What would probably be more likely to happen in terms of if they have the rights and all that is in the Ghostbusters universe, there's a movie made based on the Ghostbusters, but it's wildly inaccurate or maybe just a reboot of the TV show, The Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's what I was thinking was a reboot or two of the TV. Maybe they have had legal issues with the people who made The Ghostbusters, but they managed to somehow save the company. And this is stuff that happened in the 90s. Yeah. Or the late 80s, like after Ghostbusters 2. They had some legal issues with Filmation, but they managed to solve it. And now there's a movie reboot of The Ghostbusters that is going up on the big screen and people are complaining about it. All of this is completely plausible and definitely workable into the thing. I think because of the legality of everything and the lawsuits that have already gone on with all of that, I don't think that would be fully what they could do. I think what will likely end up being is there's a TV show called The Ghost Smashers and instead of a uh, gorilla, it's another anthropomorphic animal uh, (laughs) involved in the team. But yeah, it's definitely a good nod to have. I just don't know legally that they'll be able to put that nod in there. Well, I just wanted to say that I wasn't suggesting that they just do it. Oh, sure. I was saying that the entire movie would be built on a deal with Filmation that they would make peace and do it that way. I'm not saying like, oh, just throw it in there and there's no problem. Like I'm saying like, yeah, obviously from the ground up, starting from a point of like, okay, let's acknowledge the Ghostbusters. So let's talk to Filmation and let's get them in there if we can. That would be ideal. And then if Filmation goes like, no, we don't want any part of it, then Sony could go like, okay, fine. It's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that. Because it's just a matter of like opening that door and inviting them is what I'm saying. Sure. 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 I get with that. I I, I agree with that. I just honestly, I don't think that's even something that Sony would even broach. (laughs) But going back to what you were saying before about what you were expecting the 2016 Ghostbusters to be to be a passing of the torch and then it ended up being a reboot is that everybody was expecting it to be a passing of the torch because Ghostbusters 3 had been in production limbo for so many years. Dan Aykroyd had a script on it. Harold Ramis did sort of write the script with him, but a version that was out there that was just Danny's. And they could never settle on doing it with Sony or Columbia, I should say, which is a division of Sony. So Columbia Pictures wasn't getting on board with it, but they really wanted to expand the franchise. And what should have been a passing of the torch, what everybody was expecting to be a passing of the torch, became the reboot. Not saying that the reboot is a bad thing, because it definitely is a movie that has its own merits and excellent characters. But that said, it does seem like Sony is rolling back to the general original idea of a passing of the torch, which because honestly, let's be honest here, answer the call did not 
not do as well as Sony was hoping it was going to do, be that internet backlash from crying, whiny fanboys, or being just because of the negative press involved with that, the movie did not make much more than its budget, which kind of killed any sequel plans Sony was having for it. So them rolling back to this idea of let's make an actual sequel, have it be a torch passing sequel. It kind of feels in a way too little too late, but they're doing it anyway. It's what they should have done to begin with and gone about bringing in female characters organically because, you know, they want to have the team be split diversely. But because they went the full extreme different route, we want to make a different movie. It kind of while that movie is great, it kind of shot them in the foot in the first time. And it really seems like this movie is them rolling back to, oh, we didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Uh, come back, Ghostbusters fans, even though there's a good majority of Ghostbusters fans who actually still enjoy that movie. So I think back even further and talking about that sting at the end of the movie that I suggested is a good way to kind of placate both camps. Oh yeah, I 100% agree with everything you just said. Uh, Yeah, but I would say it's a too little too late thing, but maybe it's not too late because they're doing it. Well, personally what I would have done, if we rewind and give like the IP consultants advice I would have given if this wasn't happening, I would say do a TV show. Because then you could go, oh yeah, we'll acknowledge that the Ghostbusters that you saw in the movie are now the Ghostbusters movie universe, but we continue the Reitman Ghostbusters universe on the smaller screen because I think the premise and overall structure of Ghostbusters is built for what now is television because since Ghostbusters, there's been a shift in what television is, what kind of storytelling can be done on television. There's been shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and more importantly, Angel in this case, because Angel is the template for the kind of show that Ghostbusters could be. A sort of serialized with elements of episodic, building mythology, focusing on characters. It's a company. You have your monster of the day episodes, but then you have your overarching big bad. Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of show. There's been a bunch of shows like Supernatural and Reaper, and the list goes on. Ghosted is now a thing, I guess. Well, it was a thing. It lasted a season and then got canceled, so. Oh, it's canceled already? Okay, fine. But what I'm saying is television has been the space where you tell those kinds of stories in this sort of world of the mundane meets the supernatural. It's a day job and you're dealing with these supernatural absurd things and ghosts are not super expensive to put on the screen. We've seen ghosts on television. It's not as big of a deal as it would have been in the 80s to do a bunch of special effects on television because now like you get shows like The Flash which has metas every fucking week. So yeah, in terms of what you can do in television, you can do a Ghostbuster TV show now and that would have been my advice if they weren't doing the movie is just do a TV show. And if people want to see a sequel to answer the call, you can do that as well. And then you maybe do a crossover at some point. That would have been my advice generally, because I think you can expand the Ghostbusters mythology in a lot of directions in a TV show. But I'll happily take a movie. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But it's very clear that Sony is set on this being just a movie franchise. We keep saying Sony because Sony is the parent company of Columbia. These are Columbia Pictures movies. But that said, Sony does have plans for, I believe, in 2021 or possibly even at the end of 2020, there is actually another Ghostbusters movie other than the one that we've been talking about. Is this the animated one? They are doing an animated Ghostbusters movie as well. Is that 
still happening? That is still happening. A lot of the reveals of Jason Reitman as the director for this Ghostbusters movie have included in those articles. This is in addition to Sony's Ghostbusters animated movie plans. That's interesting. I would have thought that plan was kind of scrapped. But I guess once you get rolling on an animated movie, stopping it is a pretty wasteful. Yeah, very wasteful, especially if it is Sony Animation, which has been doing pretty well with Enter the Spider-Verse. Right. So, you know, if it's that quality or style, I'm very hopeful for it. But again, we have not seen or heard much of it other than it's something they're working on. So we don't know what exactly it could be. But that is definitely the route they're going is specifically just film. (laughs) But that said, I think that's about exhausted what we can talk about for this year. Well, there is there is one more thing we can talk about. Oh, please. And that is further crossovers with other franchises that Sony has. Oh, no, no. <laughs> That's the one thing. Uh, what if there's... So you're talking about a, uh, a Ghostbusters Men in Black 21 Jump Street crossover. Well, at least Ghostbusters and Men in Black would be... I mean, that's a pretty easy thing. There's ghosts from outer space... <laughs> there's a ghost well, they ship. Almost- there's a ghost ship it's just called uh, uh, Ghostbusters MIB colon ghost ship oh god there was a movie called ghost ship well it's a it's a spaceship that was a boat though you're talking about ghost spaceship yeah see here's the thing Ivan Reitman did a movie in the late 90s early 2000s evolution evolution which was basically Ghostbusters again just with aliens yep and did it predate men in black when did evolution come out uh 2001 2001? Wow, you're pulling that out right out of the air? No, actually, before you said Ghostbusters and Men in Black, I was going to suggest Ghostbusters and Men in Black or Ghostbusters and Evolution. Yeah, okay, so the first Men in Black movie was 97, though. Right. So Evolution does not predate Men in Black. Right, but it does have the Ivan Reitman connection. It does have the Ivan Reitman connection. So yeah, so you definitely could, there's a little bit more connective tissue, especially since Dan Aykroyd is in Evolution as well. So there is more connective tissue between Ghostbusters and Evolution than there is Ghostbusters and Men in Black, but I think Men in Black is a bigger franchise, so that one's more likely. Yeah, and Evolution is one of those things where it's like, it's a premise for a movie. I don't know that it's a premise for a extended franchise because it's an event that happened, right? Yeah. It's been a while since I saw it. Yeah, it was one thing that happened and barely anybody remembers that movie. Yeah, no, that's the other problem. <laughs> David Duchovny and, and yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. It's, it's nobody remembers Evolution. Yeah, Orlando Jones and David Duchovny and is it Julianne Moore? Yep, it's Julianne Moore and Sean William Scott and Ted Levine is in it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a movie. Yeah. (laughs) It was funny. It was Ghostbusters with aliens. Yeah, I haven't seen it since 2001, so I can't say whether it holds up. (laughs) Yeah, neither have I. Neither have I. But I remember seeing it. I remember what the resolution of the film was. I'm not going to necessarily get into it, but... (laughs) Because it's a spoiler. Uh, (laughs) But I don't really remember much of anything else. Yes. There was something from space, I think. It was evolving quickly and they had to stop it. Yeah. That's pretty much it. It started small and became much larger than small. It's kind of Pokemon, but kind of not Pokemon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
but yeah, so Evolution was it was directed by Evan Reitman. That would be a very very tenuous loose connection. Uh, obviously, Sony has both the Men in Black franchise and the Ghostbuster franchise. That would be a lot more ideal because the Men in Black franchise is a popular franchise. Yeah, and it's ongoing. There's multiple movies, and there's a movie currently coming out. Yeah, coming out this June. So it would be fairly easy to do a ghost ship movie where there's a ghost spaceship that is tearing a hole between two universes and the men in black and the ghostbusters have to work together to separate the universes and get rid of the ghost ship here's something that we didn't talk about that we should that you are kind of reminding me with this is the tone oh yeah of the ghostbusters movie that's coming out yeah and and a lot of the things that the second movie kind of had and the reboot really didn't have is that it is a horror comedy yeah the first movie well at least when i was a kid watching it was genuinely scary it had scary moments that were interrupted by these four goofballs trying to bust ghosts and i think retaining that horror comedy element to it oh yeah is really really vital yeah to establishing you know what ghostbusters as an idea is and what a ghostbusters movie should be yeah i think it needs to be spooky and i think there needs to be some grit to it and i don't mean that in the like dark and gritty way but i mean like no no there needs to be some gravitas to like the yeah and stylistically it needs to feel lived in it needs to feel a little like dusty and grimy grungy dirty yeah because if things are a little too shiny and a little too colorful it takes you out of the movie it looks like a cartoon and that's kind of one of the issues with the reboot answer the call yeah to me anyway answer the call the look of it reminded me of like the second casper movie the one that was kind of a prequel kind of a reboot or it reminded me of son of the mask yeah son of the mask was a very sort of overly colorful movie and it just to me like that look there's a place and time for it and there's a place and time for not it yeah son of the mask and casper were like living cartoons yeah they tried to make basically live action cartoons and colored them in that way yeah and i don't think that's the angle you want to take it visually i think audio visually i would say it needs to have a combination of mundanity and creepy horror grit stuff yeah and you put that together and the meeting of those things is where you find the comedy is where you have the realistic mundane reaction to the absurdly scary thing and that's where you get the funny it doesn't come from uh, look at all this goofy shit yeah because that's a different kind of comedy it's not it's not the same genre and i think that's very important to making ghostbusters work i will agree with that i will say that i think the stylized coloration and almost cartoony nature of answer the call is very much a stylistic choice to try to separate it as a being a reboot a different thing and also a product of the modern era that it was right because i don't think it's nearly as much a live action cartoon in the way that son of the mask is but i do think that the way the ghosts look in that which is kind of cartoonish and the world is already kind of bright is just more a stylistic director's choice yeah for that particular movie not saying that that is overtly bad especially in that case but it is what separates the reboot and the original as far as looks and tone yeah because it does shift it more in answer the call it shifts it away from the spooky and more into the silly kind of garish humor exactly yeah absolutely i think there's an audience for that and i think the feeling that a movie that looks and sounds the way that movie looks and sounds the feeling that that instills in some viewers i'm not saying all viewers but it did in me and it did in some others is it feels like it's talking down to the audience sure it feels like it's for kids but not in a way that 
that is actually for kids, but for the idea of kids. Yeah, see, that's the original thing is like Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters movie. A lot of people see that as a kid's movie. It was rated PG when it came out in 84. And when I was a kid, that movie scared the shit out of me. And it was only through later viewings that I started to enjoy it and love it and become obsessed with it. But it was not made for kids. After they did the cartoon, they kind of stylized the movies ever since then to kind of slowly be geared more towards kids because they had that established kids franchise with the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Right. And I think shifting back into the original output is probably the better move. Also, because people who were kids when that movie came out are adults and talking down to them, talking down to your fan base is never a smart idea. (laughs) Yeah, no. And also talking down to kids isn't that great of an idea. No, never talk down to any of your audience, be they kids or not, because it, it only serves to alienate who your demographic is. Yeah, I think we're on the same page about that. I think we're on the same page about a lot of things in this episode. Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Have we covered everything or is there any other things worth diving into? I think we're set. So that brings us to the end of another episode of IP Consultants Podcast. If you have an intellectual property that you would like to have us discuss and give our, well, you would be soliciting it, but the companies aren't soliciting it. If you have, would like our advice on an intellectual property, you can email us your ideas for properties to cover for a future episode to ipconsultantspodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet to us at ipconsultpod or leave us a message on Facebook at facebook.com slash ipconsultpod. You can, of course, always find the podcast at ipconsultants.podbean com and of course and in various other pod catching applications our RSS feed is up at Podbean as well. We're on YouTube, various and sundry other locations in which to find and hear us blabber on for hours. Once again, I have been Ian. And I've been Vincent. And we'll talk to you next time. I ain't afraid of no tuna. <laughs> <laughs>